Somehow or other, we we got on the topic of Stephen Hawking. She goes, well, I was a friend of Stephen's. And she said, what people don't realize is he actually did believe in God, but more like as the law of physics. And she said, when I was in his office, there were two pictures on the wall behind him. And so I figured, well, you know, I go, well, well, what were they? And she goes, well, one was Albert Einstein and one was Marilyn Monroe. And she said, Stephen, I understand Einstein, but why Marilyn? And then she imitates him. All right, we're on air. She goes, because her curves are more beautiful than a singularity. Welcome back. I'm here with Mark Anthony, JD, Psychic Explorer. Mark, welcome. Thank you, Sean. It's great being here. I love working with you. We always have a great time. So the thing that intrigued me about you is your fourth generation psychic medium. So let's step all the way back for people. I know there's not many of these people out here, but what do you define as a medium? And then how how did your family kind of get into this and how did it come to you? The word psychic is all encompassing. You know, it's like saying I'm going to an attorney. Well, there's many different types of attorneys. You know, there's divorce attorneys, criminal attorneys, personal injury, family law, corporate, so on and so forth. And there's different types of psychic abilities. I'm referred to as a psychic medium. Long story short, if you want to find out about your love life and career, talk to a psychic. If you want to talk to dead people, see a medium. And mediums have the ability to tune into a higher frequency, another frequency, another dimension that we call the other side that I refer to as the afterlife frequency. Psychics tune into the energy of a person, place, or thing, and they both use a similar energetic modality to receive information from that energetic field. So, for example, all mediums have psychic ability, but not all psychics are mediums. And Mm -hmm. it's like taking a psychic to the scene of a murder and the psychic can pick up on the residual energy echo and start giving information which can help the police. And I've done that. And I've also used my abilities as a medium to reach out to the spirit who had been murdered to get information. One very high profile case led to the arrest of the suspect in a cold case. So I hope that that answers the, the, the difference there. Now, how did it come to your family? From those of us who study this phenomenon, it appears to be genetic. And the Mm -hmm. thing is, we all have genetic traits. Left-handedness is genetic. There's a reason why people look like their parents. We know that certain mental and physical abilities are inherited or some diseases and other anomalies. And this appears to run in my family for generations. And I've tracked it back four generations, both on my mother's and father's side of the family. I would assume that it goes back even further. Mm-hmm. And my dad's family, they were very prominent WASPy Pennsylvanians. Where in Pennsylvania? It was near Carbondale. So like is, near Pittsburgh, kind of? Yeah, yeah more more Philadelphia, but north, like in more okay. on, on the mountainous part of and I went up there. The Poconos. In the Poconos. Yeah, 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 near the Poconos. Mm-hmm. And my dad's family was from up there. 
and they were very conservative. And my dad had four siblings and he had these abilities as did his sister, Marjorie. He had two more sisters and a brother. They didn't have it, but their mother, Isabel, and maternal grandmother, Grace, had these abilities and they kept it very clandestine. Dad said like every Thursday, his sister Marjorie and his mother and his grandmother, they had the ladies over to play canasta. And, you know, they had a farm and one day he came home early and he was listening through the parlor door and he said they weren't playing canasta. You know, they were doing readings and spirits were coming through. And and then he confronted his mom and said, you know, I see and hear these things too. And then my mother's side of the family, they could not possibly have been more different. They came over from Italy. And the Italian side of the family, they looked at these abilities as a gift of the Holy Spirit. It was a vision from God. And my maternal great-grandmother, Giovanna, was well-respected in the Italian-American community of New York City and North Jersey. And Catholic church officials would come and meet with her. I mean, all the way up to cardinals. I mean, this was, you know, a big deal. She was known as the woman who knows things. In fact, in 2016, PBS did a special called The Italian-Americans. It was a two-night, four-hour special. They did an entire segment on Giovanna and actually referenced her psychic abilities. So it was really cool seeing that on TV. What's that called? So it's Giovanna. What was her maiden name? Her maiden name was Senna. Giovanna You are blowing my mind today. So is it S-E-N-A? Yeah. You're blowing my mind. So I just wrote a book where one of the characters, that's his last name. And that's not how I got to the last name. I just kind of made it up. Anyway, that's neither here nor there, but it's just. That's way cool. Yeah. And you know what? I found out that it was actually Sienna. And and by the way, the first scene of the book starts in the Poconos. Oh, now see, (laughs) this is what I call spiritual synchronicity because things like this just don't happen. To advertise on Thrill Glass Darkly, email thrillglassdarkly ads at gmail.com. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, my family, I could tell stories about all these people for hours and I write about them in my books. My books have some biographical and some family stories in it, but all the stories are used to illustrate the concepts that I'm introducing and explaining in my books. Well, my dad was a Navy SEAL and my mother was a commercial illustrator. So he gets out of the Navy and here he is, young Joe Buck, all of like 21, 22. And he said, I'm at this dance and there's this foxy looking dame. And Mark, by the way, the character is a special operator. Just, you know, all right. (laughs) Not a Navy SEAL, not a Navy SEAL, but but like Delta. Close enough. Sort of. And and, and it's a special operator that deals with paranormal stuff. Anyway, (laughs) sounds like my dad. So he said he saw this foxy looking dame. He thought she was like 30. What it was, my mother was only 19, but she was in fashion design and she worked at a high-end department store. So mom got all the designer clothes wholesale. And she, you know, mom, she just liked fashion. And they were both great dancers, ballroom dancers. Now, that is not a trait I inherited, all right? And she was a good Italian girl. So, you know, the dates were very formal. And on the third date, Mm She said, I got to tell you something before we continue dating. He goes, I see spirits. 
To which my dad replied, as only a sailor could, with several colorful metaphors, followed by, I do too. (laughs) And they realized that their connection was much deeper than just, hey, she's pretty, he's handsome. And so they had me later in life. I have an older sister and older brother, and they didn't plan on any other kids. But then I came along, and when I was about three and a half, I started interacting with my invisible friends. And I remember my dad going, ah, geez, he's got it. And my mom's like, oh, geez, he's got it. You know, so the reaction <laughs> was quite different. The reason, I think this is an interesting story, an important story to tell. My father was very concerned about my abilities. To this day, I have to put up with all types of people attacking me on social media, attacking me in the media. You're a charlatan. You can't do this, blah, blah, blah. Look. I gave up a position as a senior partner in a law firm to follow my spiritual work. It would have been a lot easier on me just to do that, but there was a calling that I had to do to follow this. And the reason my dad, because I remember when I was getting ready to start Catholic school, and I was five years old, and I was starting first grade, and my dad said, Mark, don't tell anyone about this because people who see things, others don't get taken away. And it scared me. And I remember I was trembling. And and he he held me and he said, I'm not trying to scare you. Just talk about your this to your mother and I. Sean, it took me years to find out what happened. And I always heard whispers and murmurs about my Aunt Marjorie, whom I never met in this world. And about 10 years before I was born, my Aunt Marjorie, that was my dad's psychic sister, she could see spirits, she could foretell future events, and she was married to this religious fanatic, and he didn't like her abilities. I don't know, I never understood how they ended up together, but he worked at a steel plant in Pennsylvania. So one day he's getting ready to go to work, and she threw a fit, literally, like, you can't go. Something horrible is going to happen. She was clutching her stomach, saying something terrible, because, you know, your solar plexus areas where we receive information like that. They had a big argument, and he decided to stay home. Well, that day, a crane was lifting thousands of pounds of steel beams, and the cable snapped, and the beams crushed the machine shop that he worked in and killed everyone in it. When the United States and China clash, the world will never be the same, especially when forces beyond reality threaten to intervene. What if the United States went to war with the People's Republic of China? How would these rivals fight for supremacy on land, sea, air, and across the stochastic streams of time? What wonder weapons would be unleashed? What horrors would emerge from the irradiated sludge of the South China Sea? What heroes would rise and forever change the course of history? Tread into the deepest and darkest dimensions of the multiverse, gaze through a kaleidoscope of fractured realities, and bear witness to the disturbing visions of World War III from today's greatest minds in science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Weird World War, China. Available now from Bain Books at Bain.com. So had he been there, he would have been killed. Now, you would think that he would say, wow, this is really beautiful. It intensified his fear to the point he conspired with a psychiatrist who diagnosed my Aunt Marjorie as a paranoid schizophrenic. And one day, and my parents were there when this happened, they were having a family summer event. 
this ambulance came up, two guys in white coats came out and they forcibly removed Marjorie from the house, put her in a straitjacket, took her to a mental institution where she was subjected to electroshock therapy for over six months. And my dad said that when she returned, it wasn't Marge anymore. And she never again talked about seeing spirits. And when I found this out, years after i was an adult when i found this out and my aunt marjorie died before i was ever able to have any contact with her and that's why my father said that's what i was so scared of mark he said it was hard enough on me in the navy i had to keep my mouth shut all the time he goes i could see when guys were going to get killed ahead of time i just knew it i'm glad i didn't inherit that ability but he was afraid for me. And so my dad wasn't trying to scare me. He was simply trying to protect me. Now, my mom, on the other hand, she would talk about it. When I was a teenager and in my 20s, we'd go out to lunch and she'd say, look at that one's aura. And she would teach me how to see auras. And she would teach me about how to use energy, how to meditate. And she made it very clear that this ability is here for you to help people. It's not here for you to pry into people's personal affairs and business. I mean, I was somewhere recently and I got recognized by the hostess of this restaurant. And of course, we're trying to have breakfast and she wouldn't leave us alone, blah, 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 blah. And then she sends an email through my website. Were you reading me? At, at It's like, really? It's Sunday morning. All I wanted to do is eat eggs and drink coffee. No, I wanted to go to this restaurant so I can read. scan the- you, right? <laughs> On my day off. I mean, it's like, look, people need to understand we're not going around trying to read people all the time. And mediums that do are unprofessional, they're unscrupulous, and they are not respecting people's boundaries. And that same woman, I mean, you could have retorted that you have an iPhone or cell phone on you right now because it's recording every conversation that you have and it's sending it to advertisers and that's getting sucked up by the national security agency in some database. So you're being spied on by Facebook, Twitter, you know, all these social media companies and you opted into that. Like the last thing you need to worry about is a stranger. People need to also realize that you don't keep the windows and doors of your house open 24 seven. So why would I be in reception mode 24 seven? And in the work I've done and the training I've done in England, because I like British evidential mediumship. I mean, anyone can say, oh, your grandmother's here and she loves you. But yeah, great, because everybody's grandmother loves them. But if you can start giving facts, details, what she looked like, maybe her name, what she died from, shared memories between the two of you, personality traits, and then start picking up on other things around other people around them. That's pieces of evidence which are used to guarantee the authenticity of the spirit communication. And so I don't do more than two hours a day of mediumship because it's like a battery. I'm running my brain at full throttle. And when I'm done, I have to recharge. And let's face it, when I'm not doing it, I've got a life. I've got other things I need to deal with and do. So people think, oh, like I remember before I left the practice of law, I ran into this one judge. I was actually like at Sam's or Costco or something. I ran into this judge. People are like, what are you doing at Sam's? Well, I have to be somewhere. And plus, I need this stuff for fixing my uh, irrigation. (laughs) I need to eat. (laughs) 
yeah, you know, I don't cosmically <laughs> fix things around the house. I actually have to, you know, go buy the stuff and do it. And this judge said, you know, Mark, the bailiffs are scared of you. I go, seriously? He goes, yeah, a couple of them. He goes, they think that you do this mind control thing and they were actually putting aluminum foil in their hats. And he was serious. And it was like, I was laughing, like, you've got to be kidding me. So people have a very distorted view of what yeah. it is that we do. I'm not all seeing, all knowing. I can't just beam into somebody's brain and that type of thing. What it is, I am sensitive to frequency. And when I am in receptor mode, aligning my frequency with that of a spirit, and then through that alignment, they transmit information to me in the form of electromagnetic impulses that get converted in my brain to recognizable concepts based on my memories, feelings, and cultural associations. Let me give an example. Well, there's some piece of interpretation, too. Like you're receiving these perceptions and your brain has to interpret, which is why, at least I know a little bit of this from remote viewing, right? Because there's... It might, it's probably operates off the same principle, but it, it does exactly. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. I, I didn't know it does. It does. It, it's like recently I was doing a reading for this woman, and her husband's spirit says to me, Igloo. And I'm like, Igloo, I go, I'm seeing an igloo. I go, Look, I live in Florida, it's not like we ever talk about igloos here. And she goes, Oh my god, which is always a great thing for a medium to hear. She said, Mark, my daughter's in Alaska right now. She's getting married there, and she called me yesterday on the phone and told me that her wedding planner used to live in an igloo. She goes, I think that's it. And we both started laughing. I go, I'm pretty damn sure that's it. Now let's look at this. First off, this was how her husband was saying, I am around you, and I am aware that our daughter is getting married. Okay? That's why he brought up this weird fact about her wedding planner. Secondly, what I tell people is in a reading is I will receive information, but your interpretation is more important than mine. Because in that context, I said, look, all I'm seeing is an igloo. What does it mean to you? And immediately she made the connection. I had another one that cracked me up. I was doing a reading for this woman and her husband came through. And all of a sudden I see the seven dwarfs going by, hi ho, hi ho. And Sneezy stops and sneezes at me. And I'm describing this to her. And I go, I know this sounds really <laughs> weird. And she goes, no, it doesn't. She said, the Halloween before my husband died, all of our friends, we went as the seven dwarves. And because he had asthma and was always sneezing, he was sneezy. You know, and a lot of this stuff is surprising to me as it is to the recipient. Yeah. But the thing is, the spirit understood that I would realize the seven dwarves, but Sneezy turned and sneezed at me. So there's a fair amount of interpretation. Sometimes it's not so apparent. If you'll indulge me for a minute. In my book, my new book, The Afterlife Frequency, The Scientific Proof of Spiritual Contact and How That Awareness Will Change Your Life, I introduced the concept known as the electromagnetic soul. Mm -hmm. The EMS, and a lot of scientists have adopted this term, scientists studying consciousness in the afterlife. Everything's made of molecules, made of atoms, which are made of electrons, protons, and neutrons, which are made in turn of a smaller particle known as quantum, which is electromagnetic energy. So that means everything from this pen 
to the radio waves this show is being broadcast on to the surface of Mars and beyond are at the subatomic level all made of the same electromagnetic energy. It's just that everything vibrates at different frequencies. Yeah, and it's 99.9% empty space. It's just vibrating at, at these frequencies. Just, it, it, like mass exactly. is a wave. Mass is a wave, just like a electromagnetic energy. I mean, it, yeah, it's all the same. Right. It, it, exactly. And we know And it's not like it's it's not like some like hippy dippy stress. It's literally it's no, no, this is mechanics. quantum physics. Yeah. And we know from the first law of thermodynamics, energy is neither created nor destroyed, only transferred from one form to another. We know from neuroscience that the brain has an electromagnetic field. It's only two percent of the body's weight, but it utilizes over twenty percent of the body's energy. And we know from faith, every great belief system teaches the soul, the spirit, pre-exists the body, comes into the body, moves on after the body dies. So I, combining all of that, created the electromagnetic soul. So when we die, our EMS leaves the body and continues on. Now, the cool thing about the EMS is since it's electromagnetic energy, as we all are, our EMS also interfaces with other forms of electromagnetic energy. So, doing a reading for this woman, her mother spirit comes through and starts to talk about a seven-year-old boy in this world connected to her with eyesight issues. And she said, I don't have children, but I have a seven-year-old nephew. It's my sister's boy. We're very close, and he's com been complaining about headaches. So, well, your mother wants him to get to the eye doctor as soon as possible. She goes, okay. I said, and now your mother is giving me the Little Richard song, Tutti Frutti, ah, Rudy, and I'm singing Tutti Frutti. And she goes, well, that doesn't make any sense at all. She goes, I know who he was, but we're not fans. Well, that's what I'm getting. Two weeks later, she contacts me. Mark, she said, I called my sister and she said, okay, let's take him to the eye doctor because the headaches are getting worse. So she said, there I am with my sister, my seven-year-old nephew and I, and the second we walked into the doctor's office on the radio, it starts playing Tutti Frutti, Ah Rudy by Little Richard. Now, what are the odds of that happening? Billion to Almost. one, maybe? Yeah, yeah, at least. <laughs> Looking at it through the electromagnetic soul theory, Einstein's theory of relativity says that on the quantum electromagnetic level, time as we know it does not exist. Radio waves are a form of electromagnetic energy. The electromagnetic soul is able to perceive what you and I would consider to be the future. So an EMS can scan our bodies and they find electromagnetic and energetic anomalies. In other words, what's wrong with us health-wise. So she came through, scanned her grandson, found he was having problems with his eyes. He needed glasses. And to prove that they were doing the right thing, she was able to see the song that would be playing at the precise moment that they walked into the doctor's office. And I believe that this is practical utilization of Einstein's theory of relativity as applied to what I call interdimensional communication. Yeah, time is simultaneous, right? We just perceive it as a construct of a three-dimensional 
reality, which is, I don't know if you're familiar with the work of Eric Wargo, but he looks at human beings as kind of multidimensional beings yes. where like you're literally just interfacing with yourself in some cases, in the cases you're talking about, you're interfacing with people who have crossed, but you're also interfacing with your future self in your previous self. And there's constant communication occurring. Like I said, like that thing that we just, I stumbled into with the name of your mother, the Poconos, but the fact that I wrote this thing out, this particular thing has been starting to happen a lot to me. It's not conscious at all, but I will do things subconsciously that will in some extent come true. So I published an anthology, I had an anthology idea. It was called Weird World War Three. It was about short stories, science fiction short stories, so fun stuff, etc. But the concept was, what if the US got into war with Russia? And that was published in 2020. Like, I wrote a short story about US Special Forces in Adivka, Ukraine, fighting Russians. It was published on Vice Media in 2017. So Anyway, there's a lot of this stuff that it's clearly out there. And I think some of us understand it better than others like you. And then I think there's something going on in the zeitgeist right now. Things are opening up. People are becoming more open. I don't know why, but in your work, have you gotten any messages that would indicate that or just your experiences have been quickening with these sorts of things? Well, I don't want to get into to political, but for quite some time now, I felt that a big war is coming and now we're in it. And even though the United States, maybe we don't have troops shooting, but we do. I mean, we've got forces in Syria and in Iraq that are engaging Iranian proxies. And I keep praying every day that cooler heads and wisdom prevails and call me the eternal optimist, but I have a feeling that we're on the precipice, but somehow we're going to avoid it. And I pray to God, to the divine power, that I'm correct about this, because we live in the most incredible time in human history. The technological achievements, the art, the literature, the space science, uh, the medical technology, and yet we are on the verge of destroying ourselves. And it appears that the one thing humans are really good at is developing the technology to kill each other. I felt that, and this was a message I received. I remember in late 2019, I kept, when I was doing readings for people, I kept their spirits would come through and the spirits were all wearing masks, masks surgical masks. And I said, well, are you in the medical profession or, or the spirit uh, when they were here? And they were like, no. And I, they kept talking about March 2020, March 2020. I didn't understand it. Then March 2020 rolls around and I start getting contacted by clients right and left. I said, oh, my God, now I know what this meant because we all had to wear masks in March 2020. And then during a very deep connection with the other side, I was told that we were given a chance and the lockdown the lockdown that we had, what was it, about six weeks or so? For, we for getting, some of us, for some of us, it was about a year where I am. Right? Well, yeah, yeah. But but what I mean is when, when everything was closed down, 
all of a sudden, all the world's scientists were working together to find a treatment, a cure, diagnosis. Pollution went down. Dolphins appeared in the canals of Venice for the first time in 400 years. People in Beijing and Mumbai could actually see the skyline because air pollution decreased. Animals started appearing in areas. Things started to regrow. The oceans got cleaner. We were given an opportunity through something really horrible like the pandemic that if we put our intellectuals, our scientists working together, we can solve all this world's problems instead of fighting each other. So we were given a glimpse. And then what had happened? We got to reopen the country and boom, we went right back into our old habits you're always going to have some type of sociopath like Putin in power who decides he wants to conquer Ukraine. You got China with its insatiable lust towards Taiwan. You've got the turmoil in the Middle East. It goes on and on. And it's like we were given a chance to see that we could actually work together. I mean, think about it. If all of our scientists were working together on developing cleaner energy sources, if on working on maximizing food production, on working on environmental issues, healthcare issues, instead of where do we put the bulk of our money and how to kill each other, to dominate and control, have we learned nothing? hundred years ago, Mussolini, when Hitler were on the rise, Stalin, it's like, here we are again. It's just that the enemies, including us, have the most horrifically powerful weapons beyond imagination. I actually think we're still going through this, and I think we're supposed to go through it. Anyways, I don't know how you see it, but to me, it almost seems clownish. Like, the stuff is so absurd. It's like the art of the absurd. Yeah, Putin's invasion of Ukraine, like you, who would think in the 21st century this stuff could happen? But it's like there's a great unveiling. The mask is coming off. You had to put the mask on so that the mask could come off. I think we just have to be exposed to the absurdity of some of this stuff. So I'll give you an example. So one thing that as horrible as the pandemic was, people discovered that you don't need to be in an office to work. Yeah. Right. And like people like me found, you know, I would not be on this path if that didn't happen. I wouldn't have started a podcast. I wouldn't have started exploring these mysteries. So I think it's something that had to happen. And I still think we're not through it yet. I think there are no. bad things to come, but I think we have to go through it in order to come out of the other side better, smarter more thoughtful about the way the world works anyway that's my theory and by the way i want to get back to you because yeah, well, you're more yeah. interesting than my theories about what's going on right i know we want to talk about aliens and ufos and there's a reason we'll be talking about those but people say well why don't they contact us well if they're watching us why would they you're seeing we have the most beautiful amazing planet we're an incredibly vicious and warlike species, polluting the earth, killing each other. And they know that if they give us any technology, we're going to figure a way to weaponize it. <laughs> it's like they're watching a bunch of baboons in a museum with hammers running around, tearing things apart. 
why would they contact us? Yeah, we're a planetary version of North Sentinel Island, right? You're familiar with North Sentinel Island, right? Yeah. Right, where if you approach the island, they throw spears at you. (laughs) Missionaries try to go there and they get slaughtered. So it's understandable that they would be very cautious around humanity. Okay, so as you're doing these through your mediumship, what are some of the strangest encounters you have? And it doesn't have to be UFOs. I definitely want to get there. But what are some of the things that just kind of left you breathtaking? Oh, gosh. First off, I look at myself as the custodian of this ability, and I consider it a, a great honor and it comes with a lot of responsibility. And if people go to my website, afterlifefrequency.com, my books, Never Letting Go is a guide on the journey through grief. Evidence of Eternity explains uh, various facets of the afterlife and reincarnation and, and the soul. And then the afterlife frequency shows how quantum physics explains all this. Let everyone know, please don't expect a dry, boring read. I suffered through enough of that in law school and in the practice of law. I write my books like they're juicy novels because, you know, you want to read it and be entertained and educated, edutainment, if you will. And the links will be in the description below, by the way. Super. But there's been some readings that were just amazing. I was in this radio station in Philadelphia, The Word, W-U-R-D. And the host of the show, she was incredible. And after the show, she said, would you do a reading for me? I said, sure. So I'm doing a reading for her. She was this beautiful, beautiful woman. She was of African-American descent. I think she was like 52. And all of a sudden, I start describing this older gentleman, African-American guy coming through. And I'm describing him, how he passed, what he looked like. And she goes, that's my grandfather. And then I pause. And she goes, why are you pausing? I said, this is going to sound really weird, but it looks like Gandhi is standing next to to him now and my manager was there and somebody else from the show was there and everyone's looking at me and looking at her and she goes what (laughs) yeah i mean gandhi that's like oh saint francis of assisi popped in you know yeah jesus is right next to you right well she said that's not strange at all because my grandfather lived in india in the 1930s and was a very good friend of mahatma gandhi and who taught him non-violent non-cooperation and my father brought that to the United States and worked with Dr. Martin Luther King during the segregation movement of the 60s. And I'm like, I'm talking to Gandhi? (laughs) I mean, wow. It was such an honor. And then her grandfather stepped forward and said, we will be here for you. And that seemed very nice. I mean, beautiful message. And he said other things like how much he loved her and how proud he was of her. But then two weeks later, I was back in Florida and I received a phone call from the producer, one of the producers at WURD, and she was in tears on the phone. I go, well, what's going on? She told me that about a week after I did the reading, this beautiful woman collapsed and died from an aneurysm. And then it dawned on me, her grandfather said, we will be here for you, that Waiting he for me. was the one greeting her in the light. And, you know, she was one of those people that you know, I only met her once, but I just, you know how you meet some people, and you just really like them. 
And I called my manager, Rocky, and I told her, and we were both crying. Even though we'd only met her once, I felt a profound personal sense of loss. Because here's someone that was making such a difference in the world. I mean, she was a, a great radio host, a, a mother, an activist. But in a way, I guess I found some comfort knowing that when she went into the light, that her beloved grandfather and I guess even Gandhi uh, were there. But but I mean, that was definitely, I mean, I because I've read for movie stars and politicians and royalty. I mean, I can go through all of that. But my, my guess is those would be a lot more boring than you would expect. But maybe not. I don't oh, know. Oh, I got I got one. Okay. Well, I did a read for Shirley McLean. <laughs> That's a challenge accepted. Challenge okay, accepted. Okay, challenge accepted. All right. So I did a reading for Shirley McLean. And it's funny when people go, Who's Shirley McLean? Okay. Oh, I know. Uh, she she's but like I, the no, she's the one she was the one who where Kasinich saw at a UFO sighting at her house. Yes. And she was the first yeah. major movie star to go out on a limb. That was the name of her book yeah. about beliefs in reincarnation and psychics and metaphysics. And I was on tour of uh, Upper State New York. I was supposed to speak at Lilydale and I was at this hotel and my manager, she receives a call and she goes, when? What? Now? She goes, Mark, Shirley McLean wants to interview you for her radio show. And I go, when? She goes, now. I go, what? <laughs> so she hands me the phone. Yes. Go, yes. Yeah, of course. I mean, yes. You know, and they go, please stand by Miss McLean. And all of a sudden, I'm on the phone with Shirley McLean. I love the way she talks. Hello, Mark. I'm here to interview you, you know. And she had just been on Downton Abbey. She was a character on Downton Abbey, this American millionaire. And this was like maybe a month after that premiered. And yeah, I've always been a huge fan of hers. And so she's interviewing me. And I was supposed to be on the phone with her for 20 minutes. We were on the phone for two hours and 40 minutes, and she was recording me for her show called Independent Expressions, which she's not doing anymore. But it was a weekly radio program. And somehow or other, we, we got on the topic of Stephen Hawking. She goes, well, I was a friend of Stephen's. And she said, what people don't realize is he actually did believe in God, but more like as the law of physics. And she said, when I was in his office, there were two pictures on the wall behind him. And so I figured, well, you know, I go, well, well, what were they? She goes, well, one was Albert Einstein and one was Marilyn Monroe. And she said, Stephen, I understand Einstein, but why Marilyn? And then she imitates him. All right, we're on air. She goes, because her curves are more beautiful <laughs> than a quantum singularity. <laughs> so I'm laughing. And then I said something about, I go, well, did you know Marilyn? She goes, I did. And I go, wow. And she goes, I was there the night that Marilyn sang Happy Birthday to JFK. And we all know that where she goes, Happy Birthday. Okay. Well, Shirley said that the studios were really dirty. And what yeah. they used to do is they would play them off against each other because they were both up for the same type of roles. And she said, Marilyn was my friend, but they're always trying to pit us against each other. And Marilyn threw a fit that night because she didn't want to put on that dress. And one of the producers said, because Shirley McLean was part of the Rat Pack. So she was there with JFK and Joey Bishop and Dean Martin and Sammy Davis Jr. and Peter Lawford. And Peter Lawford was JFK's brother-in-law. So they're all in the audience. One of the producers said, well, Shirley McLean's here. She's your size. She can wear the dress. We'll have her do it. So Marilyn and Shirley goes, Marilyn said, fine, I'll do it. All right. So she went out there and sang the happy birthday song. 
And then Shirley said, well, I got my big break when I got the role in the movie The Apartment. And that springboarded her career from being, <clears throat> yeah, she hung out with a rat pack and she was in some movies, but now she was an A-lister. And she said, so there we were in Hollywood at the premiere, the red carpet premiere. And Marilyn shows up wearing a full-length fur coat. And everyone's like, what's the deal with Marilyn? It's like, you know, it's L.A. It's like 90 degrees outside and all this. And she said, during the movie, Marilyn got up and walked to the bar. And Shirley went out there and said, is there a problem, Marilyn? And she said, Marilyn didn't say a word. She took a sip off her drink, turned to me, and opened up her fur coat. And she was stark naked underneath it. And then Shirley said, now that I think about it, Stephen Hawking had a point. <laughs> so, so I'm laughing. And I go, I wonder what Marilyn would think about this. She goes, well, you're the medium. You tell me. No All right. pressure. Uh, yeah, no pressure. I'm like, oh, my God. You know, and I'm like, calm down, calm down. You know, take the deep breath, relax. And all of a sudden, I remember I started talking about this really beautiful woman. And I started describing Marilyn. And she goes, okay, that sounds like Marilyn. She goes, ask her. Was she murdered? And the response was, Marilyn said, no, I just couldn't take it anymore. I was so unhappy. She said, Shirley, you would walk through a crowd and just glide through it with such elegance. And I felt garish and I couldn't take everyone staring at me. And the depression was overwhelming. I just couldn't take it anymore. And she said, Okay, that does sound like something Marilyn would say. And then the next message, I go, Shirley, she wants you to know, thank you for taking the high road. And there was a pause, and Shirley said, I understand what she means by that, and I've always wondered about that. I go, what do you mean? She said, after Marilyn died, she was working on a movie, and the studio came to me and said, well we can just cut the scenes with Marilyn in it, reshoot them with you and you can finish the picture. And she said, I'm not doing that to my friend. I'm taking the high road. And she said it then. And Marilyn said it to her now. And she goes, thank you, Mark. And then I go, there's somebody else. And I said, she's really beautiful, dark hair, porcelain skin. And before I could say what I realized, going, she's got the most incredible, I like violet eyes. And Shirley goes, Oh, Liz, she was my dearest friend. And then it dawned on me, Sean, I'm, Taylor? Doing, I'm doing a phone read. No, Elizabeth Taylor. Yeah. I'm doing a phone reading for Shirley McLean while I am communicating with Elizabeth Taylor and Marilyn Monroe. And I'm like, I don't think I'm ever, ever going to top that one. So what did she say afterward? Well, she, you know, it's not like her first contact with psychic, but she yeah. told me that she found me very pleasant and charming and she really enjoyed this. And then I said, can I ask you a question? She goes, anything, Mark, anything. I said, did Carly Simon really write the song You're So Vain about your brother Warren Beatty? What did she and say? She said, well, I'll never tell, but... The conventional wisdom is yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is such a classy lady. She sounds like a very classy 
She is the epitome of elegance. I believe she's like in her late 80s or possibly 90 now, does yoga every day, health and fitness. She's always been a dancer. And she is the last surviving member of the famed Rat Pack from the glory days of Las Vegas. And it was truly one of the great honors of my life to talk with her and to be able to make that connection. Okay. Have you ever done any or acted as a medium for someone who was an experiencer, a UFO, UAP experiencer? Yes. On several occasions, I've done readings for Nancy Tremaine, who is a very well-known abductee, and Calvin Parker. And Calvin passed recently, I believe, in August of 2023. I've done readings for other people who are not quite as well-known who were abducted as well. And Calvin stands, I think, apart, or he's in a class all by himself. In 1973, he was 19 years old, and he was with a friend, Charles Hickson, who was 42. They worked together, and they had some time off, and they went fishing and in Pascagoula, Mississippi. And, and Calvin, he, he was a Mississippian to the fingertips. I mean, he was a Southern good old boy, nicest man, most gracious, a man of deep faith. He goes, so here we are, Mark. We're a couple of rednecks fishing. And all of a sudden, this thing comes out of the sky. It looks like about 100 feet long, and it was silver. And he goes, we wanted to run, and we couldn't. He said there was this light shining on us, and these three things came out of it. He said they kind of look like a robotic thing, like with these crab claw-looking things on it. And they grabbed him and Charles, and they took them on board this craft. He said, I don't know what happened to Charles, he said, but they put me on this table and basically he said he felt like a lab rat. They were sticking probes in him, doing all these things. And he said, but the robotic things like retreated and stood up against the wall. And he said, the most beautiful woman I'd ever seen was the one in control. And he said, man, if I was in a bar and he was supposed to get married in two weeks, he goes, this is definitely a girl I would have talked to. He said, but she didn't sound like a human. She made these like croaking type noises. And he was very suspicious of was this a real woman or was this something else? And then the next thing he knew, the uh, robotic things dumped him and Charles back off on the, the dock where they were fishing. And they were like, we can't tell anyone. We can't tell anyone. Of course, they did tell people. And Charles went on Johnny Carson and all this. But over the years, Calvin was subjected to interrogation on all levels of law enforcement, all the way up to FBI, lie detector tests, truth serum, hypnotherapy, and each time came out as 100% truthful. And and then he said, and see, I had I was working on a podcast, and I got to know him, and I interviewed him twice, and he said they came for me again 20 years later. And I go, Really? He goes, yep, I was in my truck, and all of a sudden, there's that thing again, and the light, and the robotics. And he goes, and there was that woman again, and this time I hit her. He said, when they brought me on board, I punched her as hard as I could. And he said, it wasn't a woman. He said, it looked like some type of alligator, reptile-type creature. And then the female facade came over her. And he said, when he hit her, because he said he was mad, I go, why did you do that? He goes, I didn't want this again. So and then those robotic things grabbed him, and they were really rough with him. 
He also told me that after that event, his health began to decline and he started coping with cancer, which ultimately took his life. And what kind he, of cancer, by the way? Oh, gosh, gosh. I'm trying to remember, but he was fighting it for years. It's not like a blastoma, was it? I think it might have been because he said like it went in remission and then because we were supposed to interview him again, but the chemotherapy. But I would pick up the phone and I would talk to him. And I did a reading for him. And Charles Hickson's spirit came through and they talked about that he was selected on purpose. Now, I've done readings for another young man where his grandfather came through and said, the greys, the greys come for you. And I didn't know that he was an abductee because as soon as I said that, this young man burst into tears and he said, they keep coming for me. They keep coming for me. Nancy Tremaine, she was a little girl in Michigan in the 60s and a UFO silver object came out of the sky. The white light hit her in front of the police and the entire neighborhood scooped her up. And she talked about the most handsome man she'd ever seen. But when he moved his head, she saw this reptile-like thing. She's described it as like a holographic projection. In other words, they know that we'd be scared of a reptile-type creature coming up. So right. they create this projection. Here's the thing. In all of the readings that I've done for abductees, their spirits, their family members and friends who come through, they talk about the abduction. And they'd say that they were selected because of a specific biological marker, which involves how they metabolize protein. And I'm like, well, that's interesting. I remember the young man, he had like these chiseled features. He looked like Tom Cruise from Top Gun. And his grandfather said, alter your diet so you won't be as interesting to them. In other words, decrease your protein intake. Well, in my work, I came into contact with Chris DiPerno, from MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network. And his job is debriefing abductees. And I mentioned that I'd done readings for a number of abductees. He goes, wow, that's cool. And I told him about the protein thing. He goes, what did you say? He said, Mark, in all of the abductees, we found that after the experience, they crave protein like we've never seen, and it never stops. He said, one guy ripped open a package of raw hot dogs and just like ate them right in front of us. He couldn't get enough protein. So I'm like, that's fascinating. So I called Calvin and I said, Calvin, what's with you and protein? He goes, Mark, I can't get enough of it. He goes, I eat so much meat. He goes, I crave protein and salt. And Chris, Chris DiPerno and I had several conversations about this. And as investigators, we have to employ the scientific method. We collect the data. Right. We don't conclusions but they're looking specifically for people who metabolize protein in a particular way i was doing a reading for a mother and a son and during the reading it was her mother who came through and i said did you guys ever see a ufo because the message from your mother is you were close but not exactly what they were looking for and the mother and son like got really nervous and freaked out and says oh my god we were. They were somewhere there in like some woods or something. They said this thing came down, shined this light on them for a minute, and then took off. And that's what I got in the reading, and they confirmed it. And her mother's spirit said, you were close, but not what they were looking for. So there's something about protein metabolization or something about protein cells in the bodies of the abductees. 
So Chris said a working theory is that maybe the aliens are working on some type of hybridization program between their cells, their DNA and ours, and they're finding people who make proper matches. That's one theory. Maybe another one is it's simply something we don't understand that they're studying about us. But the thing is, I know how this sounds, but then again, within the past two years, there have been intelligence officers, F-18 pilots, and other high-ranking government officials testifying before the United States House of Representatives about UFOs, which are now called UAPs, Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon, that they're real, but nobody quite knows what they are. Yeah, look, there are things out there that we can't explain. And our government certainly knows about it, may even have craft, may even have bodies. According to David Grush, who testified under oath before Congress. And it kind of fell flat. It's like the major media outlets were not interested, barely covered it, but it's still getting some momentum. So there's there's actually going to be an event next week at Stanford University with Gary Nolan. Gary Nolan was a Nobel nominee. He's a professor at Stanford Medical School, very highly credentialed, started numerous companies, sold them, some went public, et cetera, but very well credentialed guy. But he has a foundation called the Soul Foundation, where it's almost as if it'll be a parallel effort outside of government, but potentially coordinating and working with government to some degree, because this is not a problem that the military culture is, I think, capable of disclosing in a way that doesn't violate some of its core principles, right? Your goal as a military officer is to protect the country and prevent secrets from getting out and maintaining stability and things like that. And some of these ideas to a certain segment of the population might be so horrifying. I mean, even in your work, right? There are many people who like, you're not unique in the sense that you're not the only person reporting that you have perception outside of what you can visibly see. And that's been around forever, but there's this method or means of social control where when people are afraid, they can react in two ways. They can either react violently or they can kind of laugh it off and make fun of it and things like that. And I think those methods of social control are so effective in our society that things that are obvious to somebody who's just looking at data, it's just very difficult for this stuff to reach the mainstream. But I think it's coming. I think as we lift the veil on how incompetent many of our leaders are. Back when I was growing up, I thought like the best people got to the top and the smartest people and the most competent people. And then, I mean, you certainly as a lawyer, you probably saw it's typically not the smartest people. It's the most political look, look people. Our, who are look, at our Supreme, look at our Supreme Court right now. I mean, it's shocking that that there's no code of ethics. In other words, every level of the court system below the Supreme Court, judges have to avoid even the appearance of impropriety. I'll just leave it at that. Mm-hmm. 
But yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous. And it's amazing when we start studying these incidents of UFOs, because this has traditionally been a fringe thing and something highly unusual. And now we're having very prominent people coming out. And when you have F-18 pilots, I love when people say, well, it's obviously Russian technology. Russia that horrifies me. That's even more horrific. You <laughs> can't even beat Ukraine. How are they going to develop right. something that's doing rings around our F-18s? And the pilots that fly the F-18s are the best in the world. And the, we know the Chinese don't have it because they would have had to have ripped it off from us first. And to your point, it's almost more horrifying if a pure competitor has it than if something that we don't know or understand that hasn't wiped us out yet, right? Right. And the fact that people would try to use that as an explanation, it's just like, you realize your cure is worse than the disease, right? That's like, we're spending almost a trillion dollars a year on defense, and if the Russians have that and you're spending more than the next 10 militaries in the world, that's not a good story for you, right? It means you failed horribly. So whatever this secret is, whatever they know, some inside the intelligence community have judged that the reality is far worse than just keeping it quiet. But there's some inside who you know, think this is kind of a, a relic of the Cold War, just say it's real. And then there, I can take you through any number of theories that are either extremely scary or it's most likely just the stupidity of bureaucracy. Well, here's the thing. Assuming these UAPs, UFOs are coming from another planet, assuming there's extraterrestrials, if they had wanted to conquer us, they could have done it by now. Because if they're able to fold space-time and jump from one coordinate in space-time to the next, as opposed to being a tin can flying through space for thousands of years. The way I've had right. it described to me is think of space like this. And right. um, there's a planet they're on that's a thousand light years away, meaning it will take a thousand years at the speed of light to get here. And a light year is roughly five trillion miles. Okay. So instead of Flying from this point to that point, they're able to generate, and this is known as the Alcubera metric because a Mexican physicist, Alcubera, developed this. They create a warp field, a sufficient energy field around it, which causes a fold in space-time so that they can jump from one coordinate to the next. Now, I know that a warp field and all that sounds Star Trekian, although it's based, what Star Trek does is they base their science on real scientific and physics theories. But the thing is, physicists on Earth say that this is possible. It's just that humans do not yet have the technology to develop or to generate that amount of energy around a spacecraft. So, assuming for the sake of discussion that these ETs, these extraterrestrials, are coming from thousands of light years or whatever it is away, they have this ability. So us shooting at UFOs and things and provoking them would not be advisable. That's right. That's right. And again, I just wish they would come out and just say, they're real. We can't say more than that. That's all I have to do. Now, the counter argument is that it'll never end there, but it's never ending 
Now, people are just circumventing government at this point. They're like, okay, you're not going to tell us. We're just going to figure it out on our own. And then they're doing things like, you know, you look at the Stephen Greer CE5 movement where they're trying to reach out directly. Now, I, I think your view appears to be, and correct me if I'm wrong, that most everything out there unseen is generally positive. But the Catholic Church might say there's some positive stuff and there's some negative stuff, and you don't know what you're summoning. Right. You may not be summoning ETs, right? You could be summoning God knows what. Well, but we hope if, we're getting the Vulcans, but we might be drawing the attention of the Klingons. <laughs> yeah. Right. Or the Klingons. Right. Right. Or something like that. Like, who knows? Or, yeah. Yeah. Well, Stephen Hawking said that too. And Elon Musk is, and I know his popularity goes up and down, but he said, we need to be careful sending all these signals out there because maybe it's better if we're undiscovered. I have this banner that I post sometimes on Indigenous Heritage Day of a Native American in the woods going, we don't want to be discovered. (laughs) But look at it like when the Spanish invaded Peru, okay, it was 150 Spanish soldiers who were armed with muskets and cannons and in heavy cavalry. But 150 of them defeated the Inca army of 100,000 men. Two factors. Number one, the Incas were infected with European diseases like smallpox, and much of the army was too sick to fight. And number two, the Incas were using spears, bows, and arrows against cannon fire and bullets. Also, since the Incas had never come up against something like that, once they fired some cannons, they were so terrified the army scattered. I think given time, once they realized these are just men and they hit them at night when their technological superiority wasn't giving them the advantage, but it's easy to Monday morning quarterback. But the thing is, if these things are real, which I believe they are, if they have hostile intentions, they have not yet revealed them. And maybe they're just here to gain genetic material. Maybe they're here yeah. getting some type of resources, or maybe they're just studying us. But I think if they wanted to conquer us, they would have done it by now. Not to go too dark, but it could also be that we're cattle in some way, right? I'm not saying that's the case, but I write science fiction and horror from time to time. So I'm not saying that's what I believe, but... Remember that classic Twilight Zone episode of the aliens were taking people in their UFOs because they had a book called How to Serve Man, and it was a cookbook. (laughs) 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 I'll never forget that scary as a little kid. It was in reruns, and, and the woman runs up. She's yelling to her boyfriend as the aliens are throwing it's a cookbook (laughs) they're coming to earth because people are dinner but hopefully that's not it but at any rate spirit communication is fascinating because i refer to it as interdimensional communication and Mm -hmm. we were talking about this before we went on air sean that be they spirits or shadow people that many paranormal investigators see with the most commonly spotted type of spiritual entity, a shadow person, be they aliens, it appears that there are different entities using a similar energetic modality to quantum leap from one dimension to another. And so maybe in a sense that they're able to use a condensed form of the Alcubera effect, because I know that when I'm communicating with spirits, I'm opening up my brain to this and I'm creating a brainwave frequency alignment that is conducive Mm -hmm. to 
contact. That's why when people are like, are you doing this all the time? It's like, no, okay, because it takes a lot of effort and focus and you can't try too hard. If you try too hard, then you create a block. There's a whole process that involves discipline, but it's still communication with another dimension. And so whatever these other things are, perhaps that is what they're doing is utilizing an energetic modality to quantum leap into our dimension for at least temporary period of time. When you're communicating with folks across the veil, how do you perceive them in your mind's eye? Normally when they come in, first I get a gender, then I may get an idea of their connection to you. So if I say that they're on your level, it's your generation, below your level, child, niece, nephew, or maybe someone you knew when you were younger, above your level, parent, aunt, uncle, son, and so forth. They don't have to be relatives. Like a lady on the mother level could be a stepmother, mother-in-law, teacher, boss, or professor that you may have had. Then they're going to start transmitting to me, I'll see things, hear things, feel things, know things in my mind's eye in my mind's ear, my mind's nose, and I'll taste things depending on like the other day I had a spirit show up with this really great f- something that she used to bake all the time. And the client was like, oh my gosh, that was my grandmother's sick. It was shepherd's pie. She made this incredible shepherd's pie and I could actually taste it. But the way I see them, think of the Statue of Liberty. Do you see it in your mind's eye? Mm-hmm. That's how I see them. And, you know, sometimes you can see a spirit external but that requires more energy on both our parts. So they're just beaming the electromagnetic frequencies into my brain and my brain converts it into recognizable concepts. Generally, a spirit will show up looking the way they did prior to passing. This is more of an identifier. So if you have a 95 year old grandmother that died to show up looking 95, because if she showed up looking 20 years old, you'd be like, who's that? However, many times a spirit, particularly somebody that had a debilitating condition, maybe cancer or something, they'll come in and I'll get the identifiers, but then they morph into a young and beautiful version of themselves. And I remember uh, first time I uh, connected with my mother's spirit and she looked like 20 years old. I, I didn't know her when she was 20, obviously. And I said, mom, you look so beautiful. I'm Why do you do that? And she said, well, because I can. And I was (laughs) laughing about it, but then she made it clear to me, we're energy. Energy doesn't get old, sick, tired, or die. This also correlates with near-death experiences. When people die and they go through the tunnel into the light and they encounter people that they know who died, a lot of NDEers, near-death experiencers, talk about everyone looked like they were in their 20s or early 30s. And I'm thinking like, Hey, how cool is that? But the thing is, this is also how they're telling us we are energy. We are energy. So that's why they'll show up looking great. Oftentimes, people that may have suffered from paralysis or other limiting conditions, they'll come through. Like I've had people that had paralyzed hands and they come through and they're wiggling their fingers. It's because I'm a spirit. I'm energy. I am no longer afflicted by physical or mental limitations. I've actually communicated with homicidal maniacs, psychopaths who come through and they explain that I am no longer like that, but they understand what they did and they're not happy about what they did, but they talk about that was a defect of the human brain, which I no longer have, but they Mm. still are aware of what they've done. That's really intense when that happens. So. 
hope that answers your question. Yeah. Any final thoughts? Well, first of all, how can people reach out to you? I mean, they can get your books below in the description, but also if they wanted to schedule a reading, what do they need to do? Certainly. Please visit my website, which is afterlifefrequency.com. Same as my most recent book, The Afterlife Frequency. And please, I invite you to sign up for my newsletter. As Sean said, you can find my books on the website. You can also sign up for a reading. And you can just click on the tab, like schedule a phone reading with Mark. I'm on tour a lot. So if you're up, sign up for the newsletter, you'll know where I am. I also do online light circles. And my newsletter will tell you about those. Light circles are limited to six people each. That way, everyone is guaranteed a connection with their loved ones in spirit because I can get to everybody. And so you can find out about all of that at afterlifefrequency.com. And also, you'll see on there, I'm a monthly contributor to Best Holistic Life magazine, and I write about all types of topics as well. So, yeah, once again, afterlifefrequency.com. Thank you, Sean, for having me on. And I want to thank everyone for tuning into Sean's show. It's just an absolute pleasure working with you. Thank you. And to everyone. Yeah. God. Thank you, Mark. Absolute pleasure. And we'll definitely, definitely have you on in the future again. So I appreciate it. If you enjoyed today's video, please hit like and subscribe. And also hit the notification button so you can be notified whenever I post new content. Thank you. Now, if you're enjoying the channel and you want to support it, there are several things you can do. In fact, there are five things you can do. The first thing you can do is just buy my books. I got plenty of books out in the market right now, and I would prefer that folks buy a book rather than give me direct support because they get something out of it. They have a real tangible product. The second way you can support me is by becoming a member on YouTube or becoming a patron on Patreon and just go to either site and it'll explain everything. way you can support the channel is by checking out my merch site which is here there's plenty of stuff that you could get to support the channel and i'd appreciate that you you have it and can wear it not only do you help support the channel but you also help promote the channel and i appreciate that the fourth way that you can support the channel and this is really easy is anytime you want to buy something on amazon literally just go to the description below and click on any link literally any link the channel gets a cut of that, and it costs you no extra money. You just go through the link as I'm part of the Amazon Affiliates Club. The fifth and final way you can support the channel is through donations. Now, I don't prefer these because it's more of an expression of gratitude, but you don't really get anything out of it as a subscriber to the channel. However, if you decide to do these options, there's two options. There's Buy Me a Coffee, which is a separate site, and there's also you can go through YouTube with either a Super Chat, a Super Sticker, or a Super Thanks. Again, I prefer Buy Me A Coffee because that organization takes less money than Amazon does. But either way, I appreciate any support you are willing to give the channel. So thank you very much and keep watching. I really appreciate it.